Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 8 from the World English Bible. Now Elisha had spoken to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay for a while wherever you can, for Yahweh has called for a famine. It will also come on the land for seven years. The woman arose and did according to the man of God's word. She went with her household and lived in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. Then she went out to beg the king for her house and for her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Please tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. As he was telling the king how he had restored to life him who was dead, behold, the woman, whose son he had restored to life, begged the king for her house and for her land. Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed to her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Elisha came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. He was told, The man of God has come here. The king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand and go, meet the man of God, and inquire of Yahweh by him, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, even of every good thing of Damascus, forty camels' burden, and came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Will I recover from this sickness? Elisha said to him, Go tell him, You will surely recover. However, Yahweh has shown me that he will surely die. He settled his gaze steadfastly on him until he was ashamed. Then the man of God wept. Hazael said, Why do you weep, my lord? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. You will set their strongholds on fire, and you will kill their young men with the sword, and will dash their little ones in pieces, and rip up their pregnant women. Hazael said, But what is your servant? who is but a dog, that he could do this great thing. Elisha answered, Yahweh has shown me that you will be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? He answered, He told me that you would surely recover. On the next day he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, and spread it on his face, so that he died. Then Hazael reigned in his place. In the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, being king of Judah then, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. 
He was 32 years old when he began to reign. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did Ahab's house, for he married Ahab's daughter. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. However, Yahweh would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him a lamp for his children always. In his days, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. Then Joram passed over to Zaire and all his chariots with him, and he rose up by night and struck the Edomites who surrounded him and the captains of the chariots, and the people fled to their tents. So Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. The rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in David's city, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri, king of Israel. He walked in the way of Ahab's house and did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, as did Ahab's house, for he was the son-in-law of Ahab's house. He went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel from the wounds which the Syrians had given him at Ramah, when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. That is the end of chapter 8. The way that verse 1 is presented indicates that Elisha restoring people to life was not run-of-the-mill even for him, which also seems implied by how Gehazi is telling the account in verse 5. Also, how Elisha singled out the woman to warn her indicates a uniqueness, although some of that could have been that he stayed with them so much, so he's blessing them again for that. Here, the husband is not mentioned at all. It was already mentioned in chapter 4 that he was old, so it seems likely he has died, especially since she, the Shunammite woman, is the one to approach the king about her lands. Now, according to how God set things up in Israel, the land was supposed to be passed from father to son, unless there were only daughters, as is um, given the example by the daughters of Zelophehad. But here, Since she was married, it seems probable she was either acting in her son's interest or the northern kingdom had abandoned that method of inheritance to some degree. The Shunammite's son's life is curiously congruent with the reign of Jehoram or Joram. But before I talk about that, let me say that I looked at several varieties of translations and David Gusick's commentary and a multitude of references in the chronology of the Old Testament, and everyone agrees that Jehoram and Joram are variations of the same name, referring to any Jehoram as also Joram, like it's normal. On one hand, I understand this. I know that there are English or American names that are used interchangeably. A couple that come to mind are William as Bill or or Rebecca as Becca, and people just switch back and forth between them casually without thinking it confuses anyone. 
On the other hand, already having two Jehoram's in play and dealing with this multiple variations of the name can make comprehension a little more challenging. However, it can be made more sense of, especially if you do go back and do some research to review and evaluate the chronology in the chronology of the Old Testament. So I was looking in the chronology of the Old Testament to see if there was a date given for the famine mentioned here in chapter 8. I lean toward it not being the same famine as mentioned in the siege of the city of Samaria for a couple of reasons. One, it was localized, and she lived in another place, so she shouldn't have needed to leave for seven years for that. Also in verse 1, it says that this seven-year famine that he prophesied was on the land. The Bible talks about lots of sieges and lots of famines, so it's not obvious to me that just because one is talked about right after another that they are the same one. So that's why I think that the famine talked about in chapters 6 and 7 is particularly militarily induced, and the one in chapter 8 is a blight on the land. Does this matter? It might, and I'm not saying I completely understand, but I'm looking at it this way and I'll see how it plays out in the end. All of that being said, let's go back to the age of the Shunammite's son compared to Jehoram, Joram, king of Israel's reign. In chapter 3, he began to reign for his 12 years. Then in chapter 4, we meet the Shunammite woman, indicating that this story falls within his reign. And also in chapter 4, her son is born and matures to be both old enough to run out to his father in the field, but young enough to sit on his mother's knee. Then here in chapter 8, his mother is still functioning as the parent in charge. So the boy is probably about 11 or 12 since Jehoram is still king. If he was born after Jehoram became king, then he couldn't be older than that. So here, the mother and her son receive back their land, basically at the same time that King Jehoram will have his taken from him. The faithful have their things restored, and the wicked suffer final justice. Here, Elisha does predict seven years specifically, similar to what Joseph does in Genesis and Egypt. It seems to be meant to send a message to Israel, as we discussed the biblical use of seven a couple of episodes ago when talking about chapter five and Naaman needing to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. When it talks about Gehazi here, it's not completely clear if Gehazi is still functioning as Elisha's servant or referring to him this way as sort of like his last name identifier, like saying other people are the son of so-and-so. But it seems most likely that Elisha is not around and that Gehazi is using his connection with the famous prophet as a way to get employment with the king, basically as an entertainer. But God still uses it like he uses the king reading the books in Esther when the king can't sleep and so Mordecai gets honored. Thus, the Shunammite woman not only gets her land, she gets what it produced while she was gone. She is fully restored. Then it talks about Elisha heading to Damascus, apparently with some foreknowledge that Ben-Hadad will seek him out. This would be the same king of Syria who fled in terror from surrounding Samaria, from besieging it. And he seems to have some understanding now of the power of the God that Elisha represents, but he doesn't seem to understand his character. I think if he did, he would not just have asked 
what was going to happen in a fatalistic way, but requested healing. We know from many other examples in the Old Testament that prayer is encouraged. And let me just read a few examples to you. Psalm 27 verses 7 through 11 says, Hear, Yahweh, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also on me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, I will seek your face, Yahweh. Don't hide your face from me. Don't put your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Don't abandon me. Neither forsake me, God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then Yahweh will take me up. Teach me your way, Yahweh. Lead me in a straight path because of my enemies. I'm not going to read it all, but then there is 1 Kings chapter 8 that has the long prayer of Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 18 is where Elijah prays for the fire to fall on the sacrifice. And we just read in 2 Kings chapter 6 where Elisha prayed for his servant's eyes to be opened. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prays to Yahweh, his God, out of the fish's belly. He said, I called because of my affliction to Yahweh. He answered me. In Jeremiah 33, the word of Yahweh comes to Jeremiah in verse 2. He says, Yahweh who does it, Yahweh who forms it to establish it, Yahweh is his name, says, call to me and I will answer you and will show you great and difficult things which you don't know. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, Yahweh says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to prayer that is made in this place. And of course, Daniel prays in more than one place in his book of the Bible. But getting back to the account here, Hazael was supposed to have been anointed king in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15, as Yahweh directed Elijah. There, we were given the account of Elijah anointing Elisha as his successor, but nothing was said about him following through with Haziel or Jehu. It's hard to imagine Elijah not obeying, but it's not described. However, here, Elisha will verify those pronouncements. I found myself hoping that in this case, Elisha felt free to take the 40 camel loads worth of supplies. But if not, we know God provided for him, even during the siege of Samaria. In verse 11, Elisha basically stares down Hazael until Hazael got the message that Elisha knew what was in his mind, in his heart, which was murder. When Elisha explains his sorrow, and in verse 13, we see Hazael putting on a show of denying such power. Hazael, or Hazael, however you want to say it, uses the word great, which doesn't mean good here, but mighty or impressive. He then proceeds with his plan, and we find out he carries it out personally by smothering his king, who was recovering, but probably still weak. What a horrible thing to be able to just keep someone from breathing while they struggle. Verse 16 is definitely of interest in the timeline. It says that while Jehoram, king of Israel, was still in the fifth year of his reign, so before the before or at least at the start of the seven-year famine, and while Jehoshaphat was still alive, Jehoshaphat made his son, the other Jehoram, to also have kingly station. The chronology of the Old Testament uses terms like prorex, 
meaning he's deemed the next king. That was for Solomon mostly. And Corex, which is what you have going on here where they're serving together as kings. And Solrex, when only one person is king. And you can look at the chart on page 279 to see an example of that. So Jehoshaphat doesn't die for about four or five more years. He's actually alive for about half of his son's short eight-year reign. Also see page 131. This is the Jehoram who has married Ahab's daughter. Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, has married Ahab's daughter. And she is named in verse 26 as Athaliah. Jehoram's death is almost a side note here to lead to the disturbing next sequence of events that we'll hear in the next chapter. Again, I do recommend looking up these things about the different kings in the chronology of the Old Testament, but I'll summarize for you. Ahaziah becomes king of the southern kingdom of Judah the same year that he and Jehoram, king of the northern kingdom of Israel, are both going to die. The Jehoram that is still alive would be his uncle, his mother's brother. Ahaziah is 22 years old, and the chronology of the Old Testament provides a sound explanation of how the verse in 2 Chronicles 22-2, which is referring to 42 years, is actually talking about the dynasty of his great-grandfather Omri, and that is also emphasized when it talks about his mother in verse 26, being descended from the house of Omri. Dr. Jones uses original texts and how the Hebrew numbers are spelled out and written, and the context to explain why this makes sense. So Ahaziah is extremely connected with the wicked kingdom of Omri and Ahab, to the point where he is weirdly also Ahab's son-in-law as well. So he intermarried Egyptian style with his own family somehow, if he is both the grandson of Ahab and also his son-in-law. And the chapter ends with him going to what seems like an unsuccessful battle with his uncle, the king of Israel, and then going to visit him while this other Jehoram is healing in Jezreel. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey.